Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. Every time you put something in your mouth, it has all these consequences. And I think most of us don't think about those consequences. And I think, you know, we need to eat not only in a way that's good for us, but good for the economy, good for social justice issues, good for our kids and, and academic performance and cognitive function, mood, and also good for the environment and the planet. I've been fighting with one arm tied behind my back. But what happens when I'm finally set free? What we do in life? Echoes in eternity. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. Only love can truly save the world. This is my mission now. Forever. Hey, hey, friends. Welcome back to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This week, we had a very different conversation and I tried an experiment, and I am pretty sure it paid off. Of course, I would love to hear from you as well once you listen to this episode. Today, I sat down to speak with Dr. Mark Hyman and his wife, Mia Lux. Now, the reason why this is a different conversation is this is the first time that I have had Giovanni on, my partner in Shine, my partner in life, on as a co-host. You may remember him from the trailer episode that we had in Better, the very first episode we recorded together. But I brought Giovanni on because what I wanted to talk to Mark and Mia about today was relationships. Now, why this is an experiment is Dr. Mark Hyman, of course, is a household name. He has 11 New York Times bestsellers. This is an incredible feat internationally recognized speaker. He is the director of the Cleveland Clinic for Functional Medicine. He is all over the place. He has his own podcast, The Doctor's Pharmacy. So Dr. Mark Hyman is very used to speaking about food, food policies, how to cook, how food is medicine. And while we did parse our conversation with his current work, because I think that his work has proliferative, it has impacted my the way that I practice and how I approach patient care as well. But what I really wanted to do is I wanted to peel back the curtain on their relationship because I have spent one-on-one -on -one time with Mia and she is whip smart. She's funny. And if you've ever seen her, of course, you know that she is drop dead gorgeous. I was curious about their relationship. Do they have any rituals and rhythms? Do they have things that they have figured out about themselves and about each other and is there systems and you know tactical elements that they have where they have made their relationship work so that's what we talked about today we opened up i wanted to know their origin story so we talked a little bit about uh, how they met and of course there was some fun banter uh, around how they met and who was the first person to uh, you know serve the first pickup line we talked about how they work on the relationship versus being in the relationship. We talked about Mia's show, the conscious-ish show, and what the purpose of it is. We talked about how to use food in a relationship. So, of course, Mark's platform is about nutrition and food is medicine and trying to cook at home rather than always going out. So they gave us some really great examples of how they cook at home, how they serve each other, you know, what are some of the bare essential uh, cooking skills that, you know, they both um, have in order to make great meals. And then we did talk about some of the platform that Mark typically speaks on. So we talked about food as medicine, regenerative agricultural, farming, um, soil, water runoff, chronic illness, lifestyle illness, mental illness as well. And we, we got him on a bit of a rant, which was great. And then when we started talking about our relationships again, we had a really great discussion on how to deal with conflict in a relationship, how you deal with when there is 
someone who is feeling triggered or feeling hurt or feeling sad and some of the frameworks that they have developed and the tactical application of that. So I had a wonderful time with them, of course, my in my own journey to becoming more awake and to become more conscious, both as an individual and in my relationship with Giovanni. It was lovely to see another couple who, of course, have such big platforms, but at the end of the day are just like you and I and have struggles and you know are very active in trying to become the best versions of themselves. So it was a wonderful Thing to experience. It was wonderful to experience the exchanges and the funny banter that they had, the playfulness and the childlike uh, banter and back and forth that they had. So without further ado, please enjoy Giovanni's and my discussion with Mark Hyman and Mia Lux. I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness, helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle building, recovery and health. The list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family, and over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk, and my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our apres-ski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. Now, for a limited time, you too can get the Elementy Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot as I have been doing with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate melody you love the best. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited to have my friends, Dr. Mark Hyman and Mia Lux here. Welcome. Hi, nice to be on the show. And I also have, we're actually doing something new uh, as well. We, I have my partner uh, in Shine, Giovanni. Uh, oh, hi. <laughs> oh, hi. Yeah. So I thought it might be fun, you know, to have you both on. Of course, I want to be talking, Dr. Uh, Hyman, about your book, Food, What the Heck Should I Cook? But I also thought it might be fun you know, in my research leading up to uh, this conversation, I have not found a lot of data and stuff on your relationship. So I thought, wouldn't it be fun to do a a dual (laughs) conversation? There's some observational data, but... There's an N of two. (laughs) So yeah, I want to talk maybe and do a little bit of a dive into your relationship and then any frameworks, rituals, habits that you guys have, because I think you both are 
a power couple. Uh, you know, both of you have achieved such great things, and I think it'd be great to dissect that a little bit. It's actually one of the biggest parts of our lives too. Like we don't talk about it much, but we do have like we're so intentional about it that it is actually that is actually a really exciting thing to talk about. Yeah, I just got the chills. Yes. <laughs> <Amazing. laughs> That's awesome. So let's just start at the start. Let's talk about, you know, the origin story. You know, we're big, you know, comic book nerds and superhero fans. So we love origin stories. Maybe just tell us and listeners where you, where you guys met, how you guys met, how this love came to be. <laughs> Depends who you ask, okay. right? <laughs> the male version, the female. <laughs> I quite like your vision. Okay, well... Um, you know, I was doing a lot of work on myself because I'd had many relationships that didn't go so well. Uh, they were improving over time, but it wasn't exactly like I wanted. And I so was on this sort of, you know, celibate uh, inner journey. And uh, this friend of mine told me about this conference uh, that's called A-Fest, and I'd never heard of it. And he's like, it's awesome. You should go. All our friends are going. It's on biohacking. You should go. And I'm like, oh, okay. I said, well, you introduced me to uh, the guy who runs the conference. And I, I normally don't reach out and ask to go to conferences uh but but it was one of those things where like i just had a feeling that i was going to meet somebody and uh so you know that was that and then i and then i got invited and i had to go through a screening process where i had to be interviewed by the host of the event which turned out to be this one <laughs> and so i saw this name i thought she was a chinese woman because her name was mia i said kind of weird name and uh she was from malaysia i'm like whatever and she got on the screen. I was like, oh, who's that? And uh, we ended up having this great conversation. Uh, and that was that, you know. We showed up at the event. I showed up and the first night. You know, I was like, oh, hi. And then she thought, what? So we, one, of the great, one of the great long-standing debates in our relationship is who used the pickup line first? Mm. I think this always covers. Like, you picked me up. No, you picked me up. So the debate is, I did say to him, do you dance as well as you dress? That is a true statement. That was like the first line. I mean, <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really answer the question. I grabbed her hand and I said, "Let's go," because there was a dance DJ playing, and so then we danced. We had a really amazing whirlwind relationship because you know. I think and, then, and then I said during the dancing, I said, "Well, if she had a boyfriend at the time." I said, "If, if I lived in New Zealand, your boyfriend would be in trouble." And she was like, "You're right." That's true. That's true. <laughs> and that was like, you know, and then. Uh, we took, like, you know, she went back to New Zealand. Uh, nothing happened. Uh, there was, you know, other than some hand-holding under the table. And then she broke up with her boyfriend, and um, she was always wanting to go to Burning Man. I said, I had a ticket, and I don't know I had bought a ticket. And I said, meet me at the temple at sunrise. Which I think is the pickup line. You're going to bring like, hey, girl, meet me at the temple at sunrise. And then, like... <laughs> I feel like that's like a, a romance pickup line, an opening for the books. Yeah, and then we basically decided, no, you live in New Zealand, there's an age difference, like, this is just fun for the week, let's have fun and go all in, we call it hokey pokey. And um, we did, but then once we got in so deep, so fast, we decided this was too much fun to not keep going, and so we just kept going, and the first date was 26 days. Uh, she went home for two wow. weeks, packed her bags and moved in. And we've just auto extended for like three years. We just kept. Well, then we got married. <laughs> then we got married. That was it. It's yeah. been better ever since. I think it's like with us, we're, I feel really lucky that, you know, our relationship isn't something you take for granted because, you know, when I first met Mark, I knew instantly when I met him, I was like, this is the person I want to be with. And my brain was like, no, because he's like older. It's a different thing. Like there was nothing rational about it. Like it wasn't a convenient, easy relationship. But because of that, because, you know, there, is, there are so many obvious things that didn't make sense, we have been so deliberate and intentional about how we've had our relationship. Mm, true. You know, you, you're much more mindful of it. You don't take it for granted. And so I feel like we've done so much of the hard work up front, learning about communication, learning about you know, how do you love each other, how do you, like, you know, create lives that are compatible, that I would never have done, I think, if, if it was like one of those relationships that just seemed really good on paper. You know what I mean? We did the hard work up front, I think. That's okay. <laughs> Two things. One, if I were making a film about your relationship, I would use that temple at sunrise scene in the movie trailer. It's so epic. I love it. Uh, and, and this is a perfect segue into the first question I wanted to ask because a, a topic that Stephanie and I discuss as a couple is the idea that, you know, if you think about entrepreneurs, people talk about working in the business and then working on the business. And yet in relationships, in uh, romantic relationships, that doesn't happen. People are in it, but they don't work 
on it. So how do you approach working on the relationship? You know, so for us, we have CEO meetings. That's what we call them. We'll go on a date, but we actually talk about our relationship and our family and our goals and our dreams as if we were business partners talking about a business. So I'm curious if you have any habits or rituals around working on the relationship. Yeah, I mean, I think we... Nobu. Nobu. (laughs) (laughs) Quarterly goals, go to Nobu 70 times. Like, you know, you create like a space where you choose, okay, tonight we're going to go to one of our favorite restaurants and we're going to, this is what's going to be on the table. We're going to explore this together. And like often we'll do reflection and gratitude exercises together to look back over like the last six months and express gratitude for what we've experienced and then like look for the next six months. But I think we, we do it more minutely too because we have a daily practice that we actually developed because we had different talking styles. And I think a big part of our relationship is feeling continuously connected to a partner, not just falling into the habit of being like, what's on your schedule today? And like talking about the surface stuff, which can happen very quickly. So we created something called What's Up Below. Like, what's up below? And the idea is like you each take a turn to ask like, what's up below? And that person talks about their feeling experience about what, what's going on in their life. So it's not just like what's happening in your day. It's, it's like a 10, 15-minute check-in or like maybe a two-minute check-in about like their internal experience of where they're at. And that person just talks, the other person just listens until they're done and we swap. And doing that every day actually keeps us really live with the, with the changing internal experience, which is really, really helpful. Yeah. Um, because the external goals, we actually found really easy. Like that's something we find easy to talk about the plan, but it was really easy to get caught up in the big lives we're leading and not check in with like, but how are you feeling about, about all of it? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's really, uh, you know, the intentionality of not just sort of doing the logistics of life together, but actually like having connected time talking about, you know, what we're experiencing, in a deeper level, and then we talk about other issues like sex, or we talk about family, or we talk about you know our, what our, our dreams are—not just the logistics of work, but like what are what are we trying to achieve? How can we support each other? And like really intentional, like okay, we're doing this right now, so this is this is how we want to sort of frame our what we're doing, and we really support each other and give each other a lot of space. Pretty awesome. I think so, and I think you know that's so powerful because I think anybody in any relationship, we just want to be you know, seen and heard and acknowledged. And um, I think that's a really great gold bomb right there. Um, if there was one thing, so I'll ask this for both of you uh, and you guys can decide who uh, answers this first. What is something you love about the other person that most people wouldn't know? So Mia, if I were to say, what, what, are, what is something that you just adore about Mark that most people wouldn't necessarily associate with him and mark you're you're up next after after her like stay in public (laughs) (laughs) he is really silly he is so absolutely goofy and silly and i mean he's such a hyper intelligent hyper competent person like he's a big person you're what you do in the world is like is so important you know you have so much sort of mana when it comes to that that sometimes it can be really surprising when you're just being like ridiculously goofy which i think is just part of who you are like you know he he will do do anything to make me laugh you know and then like i can't help it because he's <laughs> and and that is that is something that really surprised me about it when I got to know him better. And I can see as people get to know him better and they see that side of him, it is always a surprise. Mm. A bit, a really good surprise. And I love that about you. <laughs> she's also poking me because she's like that. And and there's alignment because as a doctor, you're supposed to be serious. You know, Stephanie ran a clinic for 16 years where people have an expectation. And Mark, I'm sure you've been through this you know, that you're supposed to be super serious. And yet I believe her success now is because she shows up as herself all fully. And when people get to know the quirky side, that's where they really fall in love. And I think it's the quirky side and the goofy side and the fun and humor side. And that's how people fall deeply in love with you. Yeah, I mean, Mark, when we when we look at you, you've had, you know, 10,000 New York Times bestsellers. You are, 10,001 now. Ten, oh, sorry, 10,001. I'm sorry. I've, I've, I, I apologize. And, you, you know, you're such a, you know, the movement that you're creating, but it's, it's also really lovely 
to hear that you are, you can be childlike and you can be playful because that's something that, you know, as a doctor, when I was going through my own training, it was like you show up to, you know, when you were an intern, you had to look as there was a certain, you know, code of conduct, the white jacket, all that kind of stuff. And when I got into private practice, it was like, okay, I'm just going to wear leggings because that's what I love. That's what I love to live in. And that's just who I am. And I found that my resonance with patients and my you know, ability to affect change with them because they were like, oh, she's not, it's not doctor and patient. So for, if you're just listening right now, my hands are ele- like, we're, there's like a pedestal and, you know, someone's higher, someone's lower, but it's where we're level pegging where I am just trying, I just have different training that you might, and I'm going to be able to affect the change. So I love, love hearing that. That's awesome. And Mark, what about you? What is something that we might not know about Mia that you adore and love? Well, it's about a thousand things, or maybe ten thousand. Um, but one of my favorite things is um, like sometimes she gets sad, or this or that, and like, or or just in general, like she's so fun to do stuff for because she gets so happy and excited. Uh, like yesterday, she was struggling because the internet wasn't working, and she had to upload her show. Is there anything worse than when the like, Wi-Fi crashes? Like, it's like it's like oh, this is this it's is like the show is launching, and she couldn't get it up, and it was like she was in a really bad mood, and she's like, "Don't talk to me, you know, like I, I love you, but like just don't bother me because it won't go well." <laughs> I, I would like to brag that I have enough emotional responsibility. <laughs> To know when I'm not going to be yeah, emotionally responsible, I'm like I'm beyond reason. Do not speak to me. She gives me a heads up. And <laughs> then, like I had been shopping, and so I went shopping, and I literally like hunted and gathered for all the things that I knew would make her happy and smile. Things that like I normally don't buy, like pot stickers and samosas, <laughs> and, like organic tater tots, organic tater tots, <laughs> fries, and things that like she loves, but I usually don't buy. So I bought like every, I bought chocolate, I bought little corn things, she likes crunchy things. And like she was so depressed when I came home, but then within five minutes she was giggling and laughing and so happy. And like she gets like, like the amount of appreciation she gives me for like the smallest things that I do makes me want to do more and more. I think we've created a, a, like a delight cycle. And I think this is something, you know, you look at relationships, yeah. I've had this experience before when you know, a relationship goes bad where you have a disappointment cycle and a punishment cycle. Like you're looking and disappointed in your partner, then they feel punished and it goes round and round and round. I think we created a delight cycle where, you know, I am so grateful for and really pay attention and, and try to be as cognizant as possible of all the many wonderful things you do and never feel like you can possibly actually deserve all the wonderful things you do. Oh, yeah. But simply loving and acknowledging you seems to be enough, and so the cycle continues. And then yeah. we just have this, like, delight circle together, and it's, it's a really it's a really positive loop, I think. Yeah, if I, I get, like, a jumping up and down excited with, like, tater tots, imagine when I get when I get tickets to Trevor Noah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, uh, I love the delight cycle. And I, I'm getting the sense that humor is a value for both of you, um, humor and playfulness. And I know Mia, for you, it's part of your DNA. Can you share a bit about your stand-up and the show? Yeah, of course. Um, so with stand-up, I started stand-up a, a, a while ago, but only got into it seriously a couple of years ago and originally used it as a personal growth tool. Like originally it was, you know, it's stand-up. Personal growth for her. <laughs> well, because people, you know, it's scary. Like you tell most people like go stand in front of, you know, an audience of people and try and make them laugh. It's one of, like, public speaking is scary, stand-up is the scariest of public speaking. And so for me, it was an exercise in learning to fail. I never imagined it would be something I would do over and over again. But what I realized was, like, there's, there's magic in comedy. Having, you know, having hosted big personal growth events and done at the stage work, like, that stuff's great. But the magic in comedy is that people will listen to you and really take in what you're saying if it's funny in a way that they don't, if you're just telling them, right? And so getting, and like the, the mental exercise of what it is to write comedy and perform comedy is such an amazing challenge in itself, but getting to see how effective it is as a communication tool really, um, really sort of captured my imagination. And I think for me as well, like my whole life, you know, I've, I've suffered with depression and, and had, you know, I, str- I struggle with it. And I think one of the things I always say to myself, which is like kind of like a way out, is I always ask myself, like, is it funny yet? Like when I'm in my darkest moments, I'm like, 
is it funny yet? Like, can you find something funny about this? And I'm like, no, still terrible. I hate the world. Like, okay, five minutes later, like, is it funny? And, and, and using that at some point, it does become funny. At some point, you can kind of get a bit of a perspective, and I know that's when I'm coming out of it. And so I think I've used humor in my life to make light of what is challenging to get a better perspective to help me through that and then as an effective way to communicate to other people. So I, I'm addicted to comedy. I think comedy is is a powerful way to share. And she's so good. And you're funny. Like one of the reasons Mark works is that he gets on the stage and, you know, Stephanie, you know, it's like it's doctors, so everyone's serious, everyone's taking in information. Right. And he's like cracking fungus jokes, mm. you know, and then the whole room like lights up and laughs and then there's a warmth and then people are receptive and then they listen 10 times closer to the rest of his talk. Yeah, I had a problem, patient with a lot of mushroom, uh, I mean, uh, with uh, with a lot of yeast issues, and I'm like, oh, she's just a walking mushroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that was really, you really exemplified that well, Mark, when you were on Mia's show. So we we were recently watching the Conscious-ish show when you were, uh, you co-hosted. And one of the funny things uh, that I remember laughing out loud was you were like, well, there's a difference between, you know, grass fed and grass finished, you know, beef and shit fed beef, which, <laughs> I, which is so funny. And then you're like, what do you mean? And then, you know, Mia's doing her stand up saying, yeah, they actually, they feed them candy and they feed them feces. And I was like, no, no. Yeah. So that it's a really powerful way to get information. And then I was tethered to that. I watched the entire episode multiple times because I was like, there's no way there's candy. No, no. They can't <laughs> candy. And yes. Everybody listening needs to go to consciousish.com and watch the episodes. It's going to be six, a series of six episodes that they can watch right there. Consciousish.com. The one on food is, is, is fun. Yeah. Like, especially with Mark's new book, I think you know, and I'm sure you'll ask him about this soon, but one of the things that captured my imagination about the work he's been doing, and I was glad we could share a little bit on that show, is that, you know, I think we've focused a lot on personal health, we've focused a lot on diet and, like, getting well for ourselves, but I think we're quickly getting to that point in time where that's not enough, and we're seeing that there's so many wider implications that we can't ignore that are that are at a planetary level and so now having marks we're addressing things beyond the individual i think it's really exciting yeah yeah so let's talk about it, your book everybody i mean like it's yeah. the plan it's it's all of us yeah I, I i love your book because i think first the title is just amazing the, the food what the heck should i eat and food what the heck should i cook i mean br it's so brilliant because i think even I sometimes will go to the fridge and I'll open it up and I'll be like, I don't know what I'm going to, and I'll close it. And then I'll come back 10 minutes later. I'm like, what was I, what do I, so it's, it was such a great title. And I think even when you dive into the content, you know, you've masterfully somehow avoided all of the, the diet. Like you just have the best mashup, like the best paleo, the best keto, the best vegetarian stuff. And you're not infuriating the vegans and you're not infuriating the carnivores. And it was, it's just masterful how you've done it. Yeah, it was, it was hysterical because when the book came out, it was like number one in paleo, number one in vegan, number one in vegetarian, number one in low fat, number one in low carb. It was like <laughs> yeah. hysterical. Number yeah. one in gluten-free, number one in dairy-free. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that's like that is exactly what I wanted. Like everybody confused the shit out of everybody. And like everybody realized it's all, you know, just about common sense and good science and like put those two together and it's like it's hard to argue with anything I said. But it's hard to do. I mean, I know you're playing it down, but to be number one in vegan and paleo and keto and low carb, and that is a, that is a feat in and of itself. So first, I just want to offer my congratulations because I think it's a phenomenal book. And when I look at the book, I think that if I, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but when I look at the through line, what the secret you know, message is, is that you're trying to make cooking cool again. You know, when we, uh, we talk about making effort cool again, like, you know, being proud of the fact, like, you know, ahead of this conversation, I have 14 pages of notes just on another screen here on both of you. And, you know, I love, I'm proud of the work that I've put in because irrespective of the outcome, I know that I've tried my best. And I think that that is the through line of this book. Like we're making cooking, you know, cool again. And yeah. the recipes are amazing and it's delicious. It's, you know, it's, it's medicine meets cooking, meets culinary art, meets deliciousness, meets health. I mean, it's just really kind of cool. And it's like, uh, there's no suffering. The other thing I would offer, I think, is it also disrupts this core modern 
value that eating out or ordering in is somehow more convenient than actually making the thing yourself. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I can whip up breakfast in like 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, if I were to go on my phone to order. Superpower with this. Like this is something I think um, when he demonstrates his cooking, whether it's an actual cooking demonstration or when he cooks to for people, the consistent thing is that like he will put together an amazing meal like the ones in the book, in the cookbook in half an hour, like, like yeah. just like a spread and it blows people's minds because it tastes amazing, but it wasn't like some big stressful ordeal to put it together. And I think that is really revolutionary. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Like I, I sometimes I like go to people's house where they have like private chefs. So they're literally working all day to make a meal. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, <laughs> Way too complicated. I just make simple. Yeah, we have people food. coming over, and it's, it's like an hour before. I'm like, "Are you guys stop cooking soon?" He's like, yeah. "Ah, we'll put up towards the end." And he does, and he does. And so, like for me, like I, I didn't have that naturally. Like you two seem to have it naturally. I am not that person, but I've learned to be. Like I now know how to go shopping at the grocery store, and you have the whole like recipe free cooking thing. Where yeah. Now I know. I go and I know how to buy a bunch of different veggies like and proteins. And I can mix and match them for the <laughs> I'm never going to live this down. Uh, but I can mix and match veggies. Like, you taught me that approach. And, like, if I can learn it, like, anybody can learn it. Yeah. Like, that's why I'm such an advocate for this now. Because I am I am the opposite of Mark. So, for me to be able to learn that through reputable processes is great. It always helps having someone who really, really appreciates eating and food. So it's true. Cooking, cook. cooking together is, is good. And, and so, like, we cook together, we hang out, you know, she, she gets, helps me get things ready, we sort of divide and conquer. It's, like, super fun. Yeah. Most partners who think of going on dates, they, they think of going out to a restaurant to eat, and yet we, at home, we find it very romantic to make a meal together, uh, you know, and have an at-home date. And I know that part of that is because we are aligned with our values when it comes to what you eat and healthy eating. Uh, what advice would you have for someone who really wants to be healthy, but their partner may not be on the same page? Uh, I think your suggestion is great. If you make something delicious at home and create a romantic environment, like we'll set the table in the dining room, we'll put candles out, you know, we'll create a low lighting, we'll put some nice music on. So like going to a fancy restaurant, then we have this great meal together and you make delicious food and you know, you can make stuff that's not it's like healthy, that's like good, that it doesn't, it's sort of a fake healthy. In other words, it's tastes great, but it's super healthy, <laughs> you know, like, and, and it's not that hard to do. And a lot of the recipes in the book are like that. So you're gonna have a hard time um, convincing me that people won't like great food if it's put in front of them. And I'll just give you an example. So I was part of the movie Fed Up and I went down to this uh, family in South Carolina that lived in a trailer, a family of five on food stamps disability. They never cooked a meal on their trailer in their life. Everything's from a package, a box or cans, heated up in the microwave. You know, we made like fresh turkey chili. We made a simple salad. You know, we made some roasted sweet potatoes, um, stir fried asparagus, like really simple. But it was like fresh ingredients, really good. The father, like, you know, Never really could. He, he was on dialysis at 42 from diabetes already, right? His kidneys had failed. He, he was like blown away by the food. Even the little kid who never ate a vegetable's life, like was terrified there were vegetables in there and like the turkey chili. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> It's like, it was onion. They're like, this is actually good. And they start eating it. And so even people who really are not used to eating anything that's unprocessed actually can have their taste buds come alive when you feed them real food. I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna. It's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount. That is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. 
Honestly, there's nothing sexier than someone who can, I mean, Mia, don't you agree? Like what is, there's nothing hotter for a woman than a man that knows how to cook your totally. favorite meal. Oh, that is? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing and better. And with eats, you know. When I made you breakfast at Burning Man, was that it? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it wasn't the temple, it was the breakfast. <laughs> it was the breakfast. Maybe the best <laughs> eggs ever. <laughs> <laughs> and I would also, I would also say, you know, when we cook at home with it, it gives me time with my kids, you know, my sons, they love to, especially when we're making meatballs, they like to get their hands in and like, you know, roll the meatball and like choose the vegetables and stuff. So, you know, cooking at home is, I, I love what you're doing with this book because it's really just about making cooking cool again. And I think it's, I mean, I think it's the sexiest thing on the planet because we have generations of people now that don't know how to cook. They're eating yeah. processed food, the standard American diet you know, garbage. Yes. And that family lived in a food desert. One of the right. worst that they lived on food stamps and disability. Right. And they were able to do this there, cooking real food, and lost 200 pounds in a year. Mm-hmm. Gained back a bunch because they went to work at Bojangles and came back and they lost the weight again. He lost 138 pounds. Wow. So this was people, those are people who never had any exposure, access, and we're on a tight budget who figured out how to do it with some simple guidelines that mm-hmm. I talk about in the book. Well, on the flip side, like I think, you know, when you're in a relationship as well, it, I, you know, I, I've experienced this and I can see it, like there can be a tension um, and like, you know, between if someone, you know, wants to be super healthy and they make a big thing about it, right? And they like sort me? of drag, yeah, and they drag the other person along. I, I do think there's a psychological element too where like it's very different when you feel like you're doing something fun, like doing a date, and the person's just like, oh, I really, you know, I want to do something special for you tonight. Do you mind if you stay home and I cook dinner and we do it together? Versus being like, I think you should eat healthy. Here's what I read. This is, you know, like, and, and like nagging each other, right? Mm-hmm. It's very easy to get excited and almost like evangelical about this. Right. And so you're going to tell everybody what to do and you're going to force them to do it, which can be, I think, the worst. No, I just, I, you know, I think very much it's like demonstrate. Right? Yeah, so like, show, cook, don't tell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, show, don't tell. Give them the experience. Don't then be like, see, healthy food is, is nice. Nah, nah, nah. Like, just give people the space to grow into the experience and to like it without judgment being pushed on them. Yeah. The, the magic is in leading by example. So in our case, I don't know if I knew either of you more than uh, we, we met four years ago, and I lost 70 pounds in the first nine months of us dating. I remember that. I, I, I remember you pre-Stephanie, and I remember that. <laughs> Pre-Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> P.S. and A.S. That's, that's your life. And part of that was because of her leading by example and, and teaching me. And, and back to Mark's point, I just think the majority of people don't have the awareness. And they've been sold through the marketing and advertising world of, of convenience and, and just buy this quick thing. And I, you know, prior to us meeting, I was in drive throughs all the time. I was always on the road and I thought it was convenient to literally go to a McDonald's, buy a burger and eat it in the car. Five minutes later, I was done. I'm like, wow, it's so efficient. So my, <laughs> my paradigm, my belief structure was Yay. being overweight and sick is not so convenient. Right. right? But being that's like, the thing. And, not so convenient. and we're also sold this, crap that it's cheaper that somehow it's cheaper to eat that way than it is to eat the healthy way and yet we've actually discovered it's the other way around yeah we save more and i haven't been sick in years i used to mm. i used to have everything pneumonia i used to have all these things happen if I, I would catch a cold and be out for a week and i'm now discovering how magical my body is at un- just wanting to be healthy and healing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Your cravings change your needs change. Yeah. It's great. And then w- with respect to food itself, the, the one thing I've discovered too, is that once I detoxed off of sugar, real food tasted a million times better. And I oh, think part yeah. of the challenge is that people, their, their taste buds are so screwed up by the, the sugars and, and weird shit they're eating that they don't even know what vegetables taste like. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, um, really is big for people is the role of mental health in food. And people don't understand that their mood, their depression, anxiety, all that can be related. Even ADD can be related to what they're eating. And Mia did a show called The Depressidemic and The Conscious Ish Show. So you go to consciousish.com, you can watch it with Mercy Care. It's amazing. And, and We'll make sure talks, it's linked in the show notes. Yes. And she talks about, you know, the role of, of many things in, in depression, but we do a whole thing on food as well and how, 
food affects your brain and how food affects your, your body and how food affects your mood. Cause I don't think people make that connection. So a lot of times we ascribe meaning to our moods and our feelings uh, that have to do with things that aren't really true. Like the real reason we're feeling like crap is because we ate eating stuff that makes us sluggish, tired, depressed, anxious, right? So I think, um, mm. no, I think it's, it's really, her show is so good. And Mark's always really good. good at pointing that with me because I definitely tend to, I, I was a super, super sugar addict. I'm like, I'm a lot better now, but like it was a she 90 She only eats like four chocolate bars But they're dark chocolate versus like I used to eat, like I used to mainline sugar, like slap packets oh of God. Smarties, you know. So I'm an investor in and, huge chocolate and uh, <laughs> occasionally I'll send over like a box or a huge bag of chocolate. And like, I'm like, oh great, we have Get chocolate for like a two months of chocolate. And then I'm like, come home, I'm like, where's the chocolate? And, <laughs> And she's like, oh, like two days later, it's gone. It's true. So Mark is very good at pointing out to me that it's not a coincidence that I ate two bars of chocolate and then I'm having a really hard afternoon. Right. You know, but it makes me eat more chocolate. And so, you know, when you're in it, sometimes you don't notice it, but, you know, there is a very direct impact. And, and like, it is. I think that's why, you know, actually having someone in your life who can help you be accountable for your choices and help point out to you correlations in your decisions as well. Cause we sometimes get become blind to it. Like yeah. you have a bad week, but your partner can point out to you like, well, you know, did you do your meditation practice for the last three days? No, maybe yeah. that's why you're feeling. Me is very good at pointing out the consequences of my bad behavior. <laughs> 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 my bad choices, but in a I very loving, but a, in a very a, loving <laughs> way. She's like, you know, doesn't make me feel bad about it. Like she definitely like, Oh, gee, could it be that? Could it be? <laughs> That's half the journey, right? It's like witnessing each other and, and, and help and like saving each other time. I feel like it's what we do. Save mm. each other a week of angst. Yeah. I mean, you have to laugh about it. What do you think, you know, when we think about the typical American diet, that standard, you know, the sad standard American diet, what do you, and there's, uh, you know, this hot, there's these bliss foods where there's like high fat, high sugar, lots of processed stuff. Can you comment on, you know, food is not just an intimate experience that we have in our kitchens, but it does have real impacts on the planet. So I would love for you, yeah. if you can, uh, Mark, to comment on that in terms of the environment and you know, the soil, the land, the air. Um, yeah. yeah. And you've touched on mental health as well, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think that, that, uh, Many of us think that eating is just a personal choice. You know, just we want to be vegan, we want to be paleo, we want to eat McDonald's, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's, it's my choice, my right. And I think what people aren't understanding, and it sort of took me actually a minute to really understand, was the, the web of food that we live in and how that web connects to everything that matters for most of us and that we don't make those connections. So, yes, food is about personal choice, but it also affects our health or disease. So, you know, if we have now six out of 10 Americans with a chronic disease, we have 75% of Americans overweight. This is impacting everyone, it impacts our society, impacts our competitiveness globally, it impacts our ability to, you know, mount the defense because recruits are too overweight to, to fight and 70% get rejected. Mm. The food affects our children and their cognitive function, their ability to learn their mood, ADD, violence, behavior, suicide. I mean, just by feeding kids a healthy diet in these troubled kids, they were able to reduce suicide by 100%, you know, to, to reduce, you know, violent behaviors by 70%. It was really changed their, their way of being just by the food they ate. Um, so it affects all things we care about on a health and personal level and social level. But also, you know, the, the economic impact is huge. You know, we're, we're, we're seeing, you know, in this country, it's about 3.7 billion, sorry, trillion with a T, trillion dollars to take uh, care of obesity and diabetes alone through both the direct and the indirect costs to society. You know, and our federal tax revenue, our collections are only about 3.8 trillion. So like, we're, we're, and of course, not all those costs are paid by the government, there's private insurers, there's businesses and so forth, but collectively, it's a big drain. And we're going to be bankrupting Medicare and Medicaid. We're really not going to be able to sustain this economically because of the chronic burden of disease. And then, of course, you've got the extended web of the, the world we live in, the planet, the environment, and how, how we grow food, how we produce food, how we market it, distribute it, and eat it, and waste it. 
has enormous impact for not only ourselves and our health, but also the planet. I think, you know, most people understand that food system end to end is the number one cause of climate change. That's about 50%, whereas the energy sector is about 30%. And, and people go, well, how can that be? Well, it's, it's not just factory farm animals. It's the degradation of the soil. It's deforestation. It's to grow crops for animals. And it's the, the food waste, which is, you know, for a country with a large emitter of greenhouse gases because of the methane emitted in landfills. It's the uh, processing, refrigeration, and, and transportation of the food. So all of that plays a huge role. And then, of course, the, the destruction of the environment. You know, our loss of biodiversity, we've lost half of all animal species, livestock species, 90% of our edible plant species, 75% of pollinator species. Uh, our soil is being degraded by the way we farm. We have 60 harvests left of soil. We're losing a lot of our fresh water through excessive irrigation. So there's, uh, there's huge issues with, with nitrogen pollution in the world, runoffs that kill areas in the oceans called dead zones size of, was one of the size of uh, New Jersey and the Gulf of Mexico that kills 212,000 metric tons of fish. And there's 400 dead zones around the world like that, the size of Europe. So you can see like when you start to sort of think about, you know, every year, you know, an area the size of Nicaragua or North Korea turns into desert because of how our farming is. And that, you know, that has broad implications. So, you know, this is, this is every time you put something in your mouth, it has all these consequences. And I think most of us don't think about those consequences. And I think, you know, we need to eat not only in a way that's good for us, but good for the economy, good for social justice issues, good for our kids and, and academic performance and cognitive function, mood, and also good for the environment and the planet. So I think, I think the, the book is an attempt, my next book is called Food Fix, you know, how to save the, our health, our economy, our communities and our planet one bite at a time, is really about mapping out these connections, looking at the real cost of food. And then, like you were saying, Gio, like, what was the cost of eating that way for you? It wasn't convenient. It wasn't cheap because at the end of the day, you're going to be sick and, and not be able to function. And the book is really about mapping out a set of solutions that are policy solutions, grassroots solutions, business solutions that can be implemented to help reverse this, this crisis. And I think most people don't see it as a problem. We talk about climate, we talk about the economy, we talk about all these things in silos, but it's really, they're all connected by what we eat. That's incredible. I just saw you asked. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm thrilled that you gave such a, a fulsome answer there. And, you know, I've heard you talk about, you know, the soil, like you mentioned the soil, you know, yeah. and maybe you can contrast for us how the soil is be being used right now versus, you know, I've heard you talk about regenerative agriculture and regenerative farming, how that may change or the contrast between the two. So, so somewhere to make this in between soil and dirt. You know, dirt has very little organic matter. It can't hold water. It can't draw carbon down from the environment. And it requires heavy use of chemicals in order to grow food, fertilizers, pesticides, besides. In the way we're farming now, with tilling the soil, with all these chemical inputs, it literally, it's like thinking about taking antibiotics for your gut flora. Like there's a microbiome in the soil. There's a, a living organism there that is required to extract nutrients for plants. It's required to be able to have the soil hold water. Why we're seeing all these droughts and floods is because the soil can't hold the water and runs off. Talking to some guy in Minnesota, he said, you know, the rivers there are full of silt and, and, and they, they, they're just all the soil is running off into the river. So we're losing the soil. We're losing the, the, the life of the soil, the microbiology. We're losing the ability of the soil to hold water. And the solution is what we call regenerative agriculture. Instead of extractive agriculture that extracts, it's almost like harvesting natural resources, this actually creates natural resources. It actually puts organic matter in the soil. It makes the soil hold huge amounts of water. For every 1% organic matter, you can hold 27,000 gallons of water per acre. You know, imagine that. I mean, and, and we, we don't need pesticides and fertilizers and herbicides because when you create a regenerative farm, which is essentially integrating animals, and plant species using the animals in a way that actually regenerates soil through their poo and their pee and they're working around and chewing down the grass actually builds soil and also it holds water and it requires less irrigation so it's a win-win-win and it produces better quality food better for the animals more humane and it's actually probably you know someone <laughs> grass-fed beef is probably the most vegan thing you can eat because you know, yeah. most regular agriculture is highly destructive. If you're growing broccoli, you're growing vegetables, you're growing whatever, you're destroying the ecosystems, of, even if it's organic, of the animals that live there. You know, the moles, the rats, the, I mean, the mice, the birds, the, the rabbits, all that stuff. And uh, you're also potentially degrading the soil through 
even you know tilling if you have organic agriculture using tilling and not using cover crops and not using crop rotations and not using these methods that actually are well established uh you know you can't actually regenerate the soil and it's estimated that you know the, the top meter of soil can hold three times the amount of carbon that exists in the atmosphere today that if we actually uh, the UN recently came out with a report that if we spend $300 billion over the near term, which is essentially the amount the world spends on military spending in 60 days, so it's like two months of military spending, we took that, redirected it toward regenerative ag, we could halt climate change and give us 20 years uh, more runway in order to solve the problem of climate change. It would slow it down and help and reverse it. So there's very few things that actually can reverse climate change. If we stopped all fossil fuel emissions tomorrow, we'd still be screwed. Right, we have to have fancy carbon capture technologies, which cost trillions of dollars to scale across the world, and you know maybe work, maybe don't. You know, there's all sorts of technologies that maybe there's somebody's going to figure something out. Great, I hope so. But in the meantime, we have to use the most powerful technology ever invented to reverse climate change, and it's called photosynthesis. <laughs> God, which is basically the, the ability of plants to suck out carbon from the environment. So how does that work? Well, the way you make carbohydrates, which is what plants are made of, is you use carbon to make carbohydrates. It's the same thing, right? And, and so the more plant matter you have, the more grasses you have, you, you literally could draw down the carbon dioxide because the, the plants breathe carbon dioxide. And what do they do with it? They put it into the plant materials, but they also put it in the soil. So you build the organic matter in the soil and you literally could draw down carbon to reverse climate change to pre-industrial levels if you did it at scale. And so the UN said, can we take two of the 5 million degraded hectares of land around the world and put $300 billion into it? We literally could stop this process. So, so the data is there, the science is there. Uh, our entire agricultural production system is just geared in the wrong way. The, the, the incentives are wrong. The practices, the farmers are squeezed in the middle. It's not the farmer's fault. You know, the farmers basically are a pass-through mechanism for government subsidies that actually buy all the fertilizers, pesticides, herbicides, and seeds from the big ag companies. So the farmers just give, take the money in, they give it to these big ag companies, they make all the money. And the farmer's average income is minus $1,800 a year. So it is like a big problem, but it, it has a solution, which is this movement of regenerative ag. Sorry, I get carried away. Uh, don't keep asking me questions. <laughs> <Can I start? laughs> Can you mention what your, your new book's called? Uh, yeah, Food Fix, How to Save Our Health, Our Economy, Our Communities, and Our Planet One Bite at a Time. Out February 2020. It's a serious book. Mm. A, that is a serious book. And I just, uh, I will ask you one more question, and then we can move into some of the you know lighter topics. But can, you mentioned uh, topsoil. Can you explain what topsoil is? And you just sort of brushed over it really quickly. That's how we, yeah. is that how we, is that how the carbon gets sucked? Like what is, what is topsoil and why is it so important? Yeah. So if you go to a desert, you pick up a handful of soil, otherwise known as sand. It's just nothing there, right? It, 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 it flows to your hands. It can't hold water. There's no plant materials in it. There's no microbial life. That's what's happening to our soils. They're turning into desert. Like I said, you know, the area the size of Nicaragua or North Korea turns to desert from farmland every year. And there's different levels of degradation. So the more you go down that path toward desert, you lose more of the, the live organic matter, which is essentially the plant's roots. It's the microbes in the soil. It's all this living matter. I mean, if you take a handful of soil, it's got more living life and organisms in there than there is in the entire universe. And so I think it's really important to understand that, that we need to build soil and not keep making more dirt where we, where we lose that organic matter and the water retention and the microbial life and the miles of fungi that are mycorrhizal fungi that actually help the plants extract nutrients. I mean, even if you eat the best organic food, if you grow it in that way, the soils have lost so much of their organic matter that the plants and the microbes can't uh, aren't there so the plants can't extract the nutrients from the soil so our our food is less nutritious even if you're eating the best organic diet it's got about 50 percent less nutrients than 50 years ago in the same broccoli less calcium less iron less magnesium less minerals zinc all that stuff so it's all because we've, we've lost the ability to actually pull out the good stuff from the soil because in order to do that you need the living matter you need a living soil as opposed to just you know dirt Amazing. 
Yeah, that was awesome. I have a question around routine and ritual. So we, the two of us have extremely ritualized lives where everything is scheduled, even our date nights and intimacy. And sometimes when we talk about this to people, they think that must be boring or it's hard to have excitement. And yet we find that by having the rigid structure, it's very fluid and, and there's a lot of flow state that happens within it. And we, there's a lot of excitement and play that we can have because of how busy we are. So we want to make sure that our date night is protected and our time with our kids is protected. I think a lot of people, the more successful or established they become, the more they lose, you know, their overcapacity and they have no more time left. And I know that, uh, or I, I'm going to assume both of you have distinct lives with, with career and probably a lot of travel. So how do you and, or do you ritualize your time together when you are together? And what does that look like? Like, what is a day in the life of the two of you when you're together? I think we do. Yeah. I think this is actually something we sorted out pretty early on because I think, you know, often we say, like, I want to spend time with you. This is something that can happen in couples. And there can be a confusion about, like, well, how is it a lot of time? What is it? But it's, it's really quality time, I think, is what people are looking for. So Mark and I are good we have we have a coffee together every morning that's like our special time like we will go and take the time to make a coffee and sit together that's when we'll do what's up below and just take that moment to like be together in a connected way yeah which is I mean, really great I mean, most of the time we try to always do it we try to start the day by you know snugging and connecting and then we meditate and then more snugging and connecting and we've got snug, meditate, snug, coffee. That's that is our <laughs> optimal day, which is most days. Actually. And then we do the what's up below. Yeah, dinner. it's not just always have coffee. But we also have like when we're here in the Berkshires because we, we split a time between New York mm-hmm. City and the Berkshires. In the Berkshires, we'll have a bath like every second night or a steam. So we'll have a, either a steam or a bath during one of the days. Yeah, that's, the afternoon. And, and that's that's time together as well. So like we we, we try to do the things that we love like and we that. Cook together. Connected together. We cook together. But we I I agree with you. We do the same. Thing, you right? watch me on the high castle together. Yeah, but also, yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Um, we'll binge yeah, watch together. <laughs> but we do carve out time that we take, you know, we, we, we did Lifebook, which is a, a program that our friends have, John and Missy. They have an amazing relationship. Yeah. And we learned a lot from them in terms of ritual and structure, in terms of creating, you know, like going away for a week together and creating a love holiday. And so that we go somewhere intentionally by ourselves with the goal of connecting in deeper in some way and, and spending time each week together. We do have that time out. And I find for me, it releases any anxiety I have about not getting enough of his time or his attention or feeling like I'm not you know, giving him enough energy because we sort of have these pockets that we carve out. I think that that is a, for, especially for Mark, who's like, I'm busy. He is insane. Um, it, it, it creates a functional, sustainable way of yeah. showing up and being in partnership. Yeah, I only have five businesses. I started another one today. Um, <laughs> you just keep breeding, um, so they keep multiplying. Finishing, finishing, the, boat, finishing <laughs> the next one, starting the next one. I don't know. The best kind of virus. <laughs> How do you protect each other when one of you gets either triggered or some trauma comes up. Uh, we, we, we've built structure around that for ourselves. When one of us feels like something's happened and something's boiling up so that it doesn't turn into a fight or us both against this weird ego defense thing, do you have any way of supporting the other person when they're going through something where they're not at their uh, higher self, if that's the right language to use? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that you know, this is the first relationship I've been where my partner is very clear, like, here's how I need you to be when blah, blah, blah. Also, you know, I realized that my preferences don't matter as much as her happiness. You know, if there's something really important, then I might say something. But most of the time, like, it's insignificant compared to her happiness. And so when something comes up, I'm like, like, Yesterday it was, you know, I could have gotten, oh, she's being rich, she's upset, she's not fun to be around, it's annoying, like whatever. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go buy a bunch of stuff that's going to make her smile. And it was, it was like a fun game and not take anything personally and just trust. And she's also taught me that I don't think most people are like this, so it may be harder for other couples, but she's completely emotionally self-accountable and self-correcting. So it's kind of rare, but it, it just gives me an opportunity to relax and not panic if she's like gets in a weird space and just give her a minute and sometimes it's just a minute sometimes it's a night but like 
I just trust her uh, 100% and trust our relationship. So I feel like like that's a really powerful. That took that took a lot of communication. I think you know we, I always joke like we spend the first six months communicating about communication. Like you have to learn each other's languages and like the way that Mark would respond to com- to conflict or triggering, for instance, is he just wants to like hash it out like right there and then. He'll spend like six hours in the emotion going round and round and round. Whereas my style, whereas my style is to be like, I'll be like, oh, I am being triggered. Yes. Very angry. I need to go and take some time to process my emotion, figure out what's real, what's not real, and then come back and present it when I'm not all wound up, which Mm. then he he used to feel was like an abandonment or like a withdrawal, right? So so we had to figure out how to build a bridge between us so that he understands that if I need a moment to go figure it out, it's not because I'm running or withdrawing. It's because I, I don't, I want to come back with a really open heart and a clean space so we can really like deal and heal with whatever it is. Yeah, right. Which also doesn't like, uh, rarely she doesn't externalize like the reason for her being upset. So like, right, she's right. Never, like so you're not blaming. Yeah. Or, or blaming always yourself <laughs> but she doesn't like you know and and that's like super powerful but saying that i also think we're pretty good you know like we've we've both our lives have been radically transformed since we got together that was just part of you know what needed to happen for us and i think you know we also hold each other accountable like i think both of us had some suboptimal behaviors and some triggers that we had to work through together and so learning you know when to support your partner and give them space but also learning when to like be like that's actually not okay and have a boundary and, and, mm-hmm. and ask them to be accountable for their behavior is also part of it, you know. So I think there's a dance there and and like we don't always get right. Like it gets pretty, it can be a bit weird sometimes, but but like we have a thing like we always come back to love as quickly as we can. Like that's our focus. Like come back to like as soon as we can get back to love, okay. like we're both always wanting to come back there. And and I think that's what makes it work. Even if we don't even if we don't always have the skills to do it like straight away. We get better and better, and we always end up back there. Yeah, yeah. We call that protecting the bubble. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, yeah. I, and I think that's so—it's foundational. And trusting well, that your partner is in that with you. I mean, it's almost like instead of asking, "What do I need?" It's what does the relationship need? Yes. Yeah. You know. And we're also lucky, like we ask people for help. So we have a lot of people in our life that we go to. We have, you know, coaches and, and like friends who. If we're struggling with something, like one of Mark's best friends is a life coach. He's worked with for six, seven or eight years now. Mm. And like if stuff is, if like he's really not owning it, he's like in his cycle and I can't quite, I call her and I'm like, well, and I will call her in and she will do it with us. Right. Or like if I figure like if I'm having a crazy emotional reaction to something and I go, you know what, this is, there's something I believe here. And this is mine. And so I'll go work with Shelly Yefko, who's my belief coach, and I'll go work with her to work on whatever it is that I'm believing that's creating my friction, right? So, and if I notice a belief in Mark, I'm like, you need to go handle it. So we also, we, we get that, like, we don't have all the answers. I think all couples should exist within, like, a network of, of support and people who know you and love you and who you can speak to. Because most of us now are so isolated. Like, a couple mm-hmm. is little isolated world and it's very hard to do it to yeah. just like the two of you you know yeah. so that. sometimes we need to go to the emotional emergency room. <laughs> yeah, we get to the, emotional <laughs> the emotional emergency room <laughs> i love that he's wrong she's wrong no you but it, it helps to have those people i just want to thank both of you for your radical honesty and transparency in this conversation today you know mark you you are such a rock star in so many ways. You know, you have this proliferative career in terms of the books and the, you know, being the functional medicine, sort of the father of functional medicine, uh, the movement, the podcast, everything. And Mia, you're hilarious. You are whip smart, like hilarious commentary on uh, some of the modern habits. I just wanted to, um, thank both of you for being on and it's, you are such a, it's so lovely to see, people who have done the work, who are willing to lean in and to be vulnerable, not just for, you know, the relationship itself, but for your own personal journeys. And I love the, like the both of you are such a perfect pairing because, you know, we always say laughter is the best medicine. So I feel like we have the laughter, we have the medicine. And um, thank you so much for your, um, for your, for our conversation today. Laughter and food. Laughter and food. Nothing better. 
Let's cheer. Thank you guys for having us. I would say laughter is medicine, food is medicine. Check out consciousish.com. <laughs> consciousish, and I will link to the. I will link to everything. So, is there any other links? The consciousish the show dot. Uh, we'll make sure that that's in the Just show. Consciousish.com. Consciousish.com. What about you? Are you pre-ordering food fix yet? Uh, yeah, I'm going to get my cookbook. Then go yeah. get food fix on the pre-order. Um, awesome. On Amazon. Yeah. Stay tuned. Big thing. Thank you guys so much. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find all this information at our website, bettershow.co. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-S-H-O-W dot C-O. Maybe the simplest way to keep in touch with me is to sign up for my email. When you go to bettershow.co, there'll be a little pop-up and I send a weekly email on all things mindset, nutrition, fitness, uh, longevity, aging, things that are capturing my attention that week in a newsletter that we call Brain Candy. You can find me on social, on Twitter, it's Dr. underscore Stephanie. On Instagram, I am Dr. Stephanie Estima. That's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E. E-S-T-I-M-A. And finally, a legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and the advice, discussions, and recommendations that we discuss on this podcast do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare professional's advice or care. There is no doctor-patient relationship that has been established in the consumption of this podcast. And the use and implementation of the information contained here are at the sole discretion of the listener. The content in this podcast is not intended to be used as a substitute for any professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment.